I would be the first to admit that as a child, some of the most difficult words to speak, utter, and proclaim are my parents are right. Truth of the matter is, Minister Ward, as I reflect over my childhood often, this past week I reflected over some of my father's favorite sayings. He would always tell his three boys, always shake a man's hand firm. He would say things like, put away some money for a rainy day. When it was time for us to go out and look for a job, he always said to us, the early bird catches the worm. When we had summers off from school, when all of our other friends were playing from sunrise to sunset, he had us out in the fields and in the woods working. And when we inquired to him about why we couldn't play like the other boys in the neighborhood was play, he said, because a lazy man is not a man at all. Saturday nights when we had to prepare for Sunday morning service, had to come in early from playing to polish our shoes, to iron our clothes, to get ready for Sunday morning. We would always, he's always said these things to us when we would complain about it. He would always say, do your best and look your best for the Lord. Head and shoulders above anything, I remember him saying these words. He said, son, all three of us, Greg, Thomas, and Kevin, he says, there's two things that you don't mess with with a man. You don't mess with a man's money, and you don't mess with a man's honey. <laughs> it is this last statement, Brother Woody, that caught my attention. As a little lad growing up, that shed some light on our text at hand today. Because much of the great tension of the text today stems around this whole premise that Paul and Silas have messed with some people's money. When you read the opening verses of Acts chapter 16, and hopefully your Bibles are still open, you will discover around verses 9 and 10 that Paul and Silas really has desires to go to Asia to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But while they're praying the Holy Spirit arrests their attention, they see a man from Macedonia in a vision and he says these particular words to Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. The Bible says around verse 10 that Paul and Silas immediately began to make their way to this Macedonia area. And when we first get there, we understand something, my brothers and sisters, that what um, I'm impressed about Paul is that Paul shows us that when we're called by God, it's not because anything particular that we want to do, but we're called by God to do the things that God has called, assigned, and anointed us to do. Though it was Paul's desire to go to Asia, he was mature enough, Minister Ray, to understand that he was the callee and God is the caller. And that it is, his, it is his job to adhere to the place that God has assigned us to do. How many of us, my brothers and sisters, would be better off today if we would just listen to the voice of God to direct us in the paths and the places that God has designed for us? I understand that in your own finite mind, in your own finite wisdom, 
you've already charted out your plans. You have every goal there in, in your iPad, in your tablet. But could it be that God has another plan, another assignment, and another purpose, particularly for your life? And from their own said, I would say, because Paul sees a man in a vision, that it looks like Paul may be off course. Because when he first gets to Philippi, he discovers that there is no synagogue there in Philippi. Matter of fact, he doesn't even see any brothers there. When Paul arrives to the city, he has to go out by the riverside and pray with the women. Because according to Jewish custom, it required 10 men for the found of a synagogue and here Paul is finding himself understanding that Paul has been trained by one of the greatest rabbis of Jewish time the great rabbi Gamaliel and it was these rabbinic thinkings that they had said and gone on record that it is better that the words of the law be burned and then be delivered to a woman but Paul my brothers and sisters and God had other plans God has matured Paul Above, above his traditional thinking and now Paul comes to this place even though he does not see a man the first person that he sees is a woman by the name of Lydia the Bible says that when Paul goes to Lydia and he begins to share the gospel. The Bible says that Lydia is saved and she is so emphatic that she wants Paul to come back to her house that the Bible says that her entire household becomes saved through the preaching and teaching of Paul's ministry. We're seeing great things occur in this Acts chapter 16. Matter of fact, we see on the surface what appears to be one of Paul's biggest cheerleaders. There is a little un named girl in the text and according to verse 17 minister Tatra, this girl appears to be promoting the gospel she is going around saying that the servants of the most high God are telling you the way to be saved but the Bible says that Paul and Silas she is following them day by day here she is following them and saying these same words but Paul and Silas get agitated and aggravated and on the surface I couldn't understand because if this girl is literally promoting talking about you are the servants of the most high God telling you the way to be saved why would they become annoyed why would they become agitated when you do your research and when you dig deeper into the text Paul perceived that this was an evil spirit working through this girl a matter of fact to be particular it was a spirit that they call a python spirit python was big in this particular area this particular reason and this python spirit represented the God Apollo and it guarded the temple of Apollo and it was known to have the ability to predict the future and many people in this Greco-Roman area minister Bobby was big in divination. They was big on people who possess this gift of foretelling the future and they used this as an opportunity to make money. So here it was they was not concerned about this girl but they was exploiting this particular girl and 
when this girl is talking about the term the God most high, many of us who are casual Bible readers would think that she was referring to El Elyon, the most high God. But that was not the case at the time of our text. This term God most high was a common term in this Gentile world in which Paul and Silas find themselves. And this title was more appropriate, not going back to El Elyon, but it was the term that they particularly applied to the God Zeus. So here it is on the surface. It looks as if she is promoting the gospel, but she is really, in a sense, prohibiting the gospel. It looks like she is cheering the gospel on, but what Paul understands is she is drawing more attention to herself than the very God that she seems to be promoting. And that's what evil spirits do. They always give the impression or the illusion that they are promoting God when in fact they are actually promoting themselves. And when Paul became irritated and he, he, he rebuked the spirit out of this girl, you would have thought that everybody would have been happy. Brother Glover, you would have thought that people would have been shouting and praising God because this spirit has left this young girl. But matter of fact, this was the very thing that got Paul and Silas put in prison because what they did was they messed with some man's money. And the Bible says that these magistrates got mad because their money-making machine had come to an end. It didn't matter to them that this girl got saved. It didn't matter to them that this girl was delivered for them. The main focal point was that their money had now run out. And it was, and they decided to do to Paul and Silas what the Jim Crow South decided to do to black people when they decided that they were not going to submit to the white supremacy anymore. They decided that they were going to teach them a lesson and beat righteousness out of them. So they decided to throw Paul and Silas into prison. They decided that they were going to beat them. And I understand what you're saying. Several verses earlier, you stated that Paul and Silas saw in a vision that a man said, come over to Macedonia to help us and preach the very gospel and God said to Paul and Silas I need you to go and preach the gospel in this area of Macedonia how do you get from receiving a vision from God and God giving his stamp of approval now to find yourself in a prison cell I'm here to tell you my brothers and sisters that on the surface it looks as if they are not following the plan and the will of God and if they had some friends like Job they would say Job you need to check out yourself because something is going on in your life you obviously can't be saved you obviously cannot be in the will of God why would God allow you to go to a prison why would God allow you to be beaten why would God allow you to go do something and that's our narrow view of Christianity because we think that Christianity is always going to have us on a mountaintop but I'm here to tell you my brothers and sisters that in this journey of with Christ you will have some visits with the valley you will have some moments that you will cry tears that you will have some moments that will leave you scratching your head up saying God this is not what I signed up to do everybody told me that when I decided to follow Jesus that I was going to get my Bentley my big house and a big bank account but what I'm seeing now does not match up to everything that has been flashed in front 
front of them. I'm preaching to somebody now because you've been trying to figure out why you're catching the hell that you're catching, why you are crying tears that these must not be going right. I'm here to tell you that you are in the right place. You are still in the plan of God. You are still doing what it is that God has assigned you to do. And what you don't understand is life is bigger than you. That sometimes you are not in the place that you're in for you. But God is trying to use you to be a blessing to somebody else. I know y'all don't believe me. When you look at this text, when you look at this text message, I understand that even though they are in this prison cell, this still does not stop the plan of God. Recall that God has sent them to this area to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Luke shows throughout Acts that preaching the gospel for Jesus Christ was targeting families. Because we see in several places in Acts of the Apostle this theme of household salvation. And when you read Acts chapter 2 verse 10, when you get home, you will see that Cornelius and his household were saved. When you read Acts chapter 11 verse 14, when Peter is preaching and he offers salvation to the man's house in Jabba, he offers salvation to the man and his household. When we saw Paul in Acts 16 verses 14 and 15, the Bible says that Lydia and her household were saved. When you read Acts 18 and 8, you would read that Christmas and his household were saved. Now today, my brothers and sisters, in our somatic spotlight, we see this theme unfold in the life of a prison God. It is based on this premise that I believe it is God's desire for the household to be saved. Turn to your neighbor and say, God desires for the household to be saved. Paul is now preaching the gospel. Households are being saved. Now he finds himself in the middle of a prison cell. But look at the progression or the domino effect of the text. First thing that I want to raise is position matters. Position matters. Let me read it to you in verses 23 and 24. It says, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now when I looked at this text, what stood out to me was how critical position is in this story. And I'm here to tell somebody that if you're going to have success, that if there's nothing else that sports taught me, it taught me how critical position is to have success. In basketball, Ray, is low post position. In baseball, is gap position. In track and field and horse racing, is lane position. In tennis, is ball position. In car racing, is drafting position. In volleyball, is setup position. And football, is 
field position. That position matters if we are going to have success. And when I looked at this particular narrative, I saw how God has divinely permitted for Paul and Silas to be positioned in this Macedonia era. Though on the surface, it appears that they are out of position and not in the place where God will have them. But I have come here, my brothers and sisters, to learn that not all of our pit stops in life are for us. When, when I first started flying, I couldn't understand that if I was going from A to B, I couldn't understand why we had to have a pit stop there. I decided that I bought my ticket. I'm going from Miami all, all the way to LA, but I didn't understand why I had to stop in Denver. And then it dawned on me that I wasn't stopping in Denver because of me. I was stopping in Denver because the plane needed to be fueled. Some passengers needed to be dropped off and some passengers needed to be picked up. Come here, let me talk to somebody. Could it be that sometimes in your life that God have you at some pit stops called a job, at a pit, come on preach city, that God have you placed somewhere temporarily and it's not just because of you, it's not because of something that you need, but God have you temporarily placed and assigned because there are some passengers that need to be picked up. There are some people that need to be dropped off. There are some shifting that needs to take place. And my brothers and so I understand that we live in a society that we watch this rationalize. Everything has to be about us. But can I tell you that Paul and Silas in prison had nothing to do with them. Could, can God trust you to go to a place that has absolutely nothing to do with you. They're in prison not because of something that they did. They're not in prison because they need to be saved. They're not in prison because God is trying to teach them a lesson but their only assignment in this prison cell is because God want to see this family get saved. Come here let me talk to you child of God. You might as well wake up in the morning and go to the job with Jesus joy in your spirit. You are on that job not just because of you but you are representing the presence of almighty God. God don't have you in your community just for you. God want his presence in there so that the households might be saved. Understand this. It was his position not on the job but his position in the jail. When I looked at this Ashley I thought about it. Isn't it interesting that out of all of the prison gods in the prison, this jailer is the one that is assigned to Paul and Silas. Out of the estimated hundreds of others who are in this prison, this Gentile prison god is locked in with the apostle to the Gentiles. Don't, don't tell me God doesn't know who to bring in your life. Don't, don't tell me God doesn't know who to position you around at, at the time that you need it. Isn't it interesting that God has uniquely positioned this Gentile jailer to see how Paul and Silas handled their storms, to witness how they worship God despite their woes and their wounds. Isn't it amazing that this jailer gets the opportunity to see Paul and Silas conduct in, in, and their conversation in light of 
of their circumstances. Isn't it amazing, my brothers and sisters, what God is trying to say to us? That can I trust you to behave in a situation that does not have anything to do with you? But can you still worship me? Can you still praise me? Can you still conduct yourself in a way that people on your job are scratching their head because they know all the stuff that you are going through but you still show up early and leave late when you've been bypassed for a promotion that you deserve that they still can't understand that people see you come to church and still praise God like you've lost your mind don't you understand that sometimes God is positioning people beside you not because of you but God wants a blessing to come through you Let me see if I can make this plain. Not only does your position matter, but your predicament has providential ministry. Look at verse 25. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard these brothers. I, I, I know what you're saying. Pastor T, it's one thing for me to be in a place of pain where life is beating me up for my own actions. However, Pastor T, it's another thing to find myself in a painful bloodshedding predicament in which I did nothing wrong. I dotted every eye. I've crossed every T. I tried to love my enemies and do good. I've been praying for those that have despitefully misused me. But but yet I find myself in this painful predicament. That sometimes I can't understand. I got to be honest. I, sometimes I think that God is guilty of providential prejudice. Because I can't understand why God would have let me be in here. That I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of feeling lonely. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the lies. I'm tired of the backbite. I'm tired of the betrayals. I'm tired of the disappointment. Well, why does God have me in this predicament? I'll tell you why. C- could it be that God says I can trust? you with trouble could it be that God is saying I know you still gonna come to church even though you're going through what you're going through God has said I know you still gonna walk with your head up in the air even though you got problems in your marriage even though you got problems with your kids you, you, you are still going to make your way to the house of God and say this is the day that the Lord has made that, that, that you are still going to show up to work. That even though you know that, well, watch this, that satanic supervisor is out to get you, you still go walk in the building and say, good morning and God bless you. God, God says, I can trust you with trouble. Not, not only can I trust you with trouble because I because I've seen how you have acted in the past because this is not the first time that Paul has been beaten and Paul got back up God says when you showed me the first time that the abuse is not going to alter your adoration when you showed me the first time that the bankruptcy is not going to bind your blessing that the condition is not going to change your conduct the divorce is not going to disqualify your 
your destiny. The arrows are not going to erase your efficiency and the job is not going to jab. When you prove to me that you can handle it the first time, that, that lets me know that you can handle it this time because everybody cannot handle that prison and still praise God. Is there anybody in here who knows what I'm talking about? It bothers me that when you see people praise God, but then you see them go through a storm and they come to church and you can tell that they're going through a storm because they come to church looking mad like they've been baptized in lemon juice. But you got to learn how to bind the enemy and the neighbor because you're not going to be able to tell when I'm going through and when I'm on the top because I'm still going to act the same way at all times because praise is what I do even while I'm going. I wish y'all would let me preach in this house today. There ought to be somebody in here that say, yes, I'm going through, but it's not going to stop my praise. Yes, I'm going through, but I still throw my hands up and worship God because God has not changed. Let me, let me see. Let me see. I, I know. I know. I know. You, you say it. Pastor T, where is that in the Bible? I know, I know that's why some of y'all haven't praised God yet because you think this is Taylor theology, but it, it, it's right here in the text. The, the, the Bible says, Jackie, at midnight, P- Paul and Silas prayed and sung praises to God. Not, not, not only, Jimmy, did they pray and praise God, but, but look at where, priest boy, they praise God and pray. They did it while they're in a prison cell, while their hands are still in shackles, while somebody else is bound to them. And you had the nerve to walk in here free without any shackles, without any bounds, not in a prison cell. And you still haven't opened up your mouth. If I was you, I feel a holler coming out in my spirit. If I was you, I feel something trying to break loose down on the inside of me. Is there anybody in here that can open up your mouth and give God crazy praise? I know it's early in the service, but open up your mouth and give God crazy praise. Okay. Uh, y'all, uh, I think about 37 of y'all got to let me work a little bit harder. Ray, understand. Maybe, maybe they don't understand that this is not just any type of prison. The Bible says that he put them not just in the prison, but he put them in the inner prison. He put them in a dungeon. He put them in a place that is dark at midday. It's damp and cold and dirty with the stench of sewage running through it. But yet that didn't stop these brothers from praying to God and praising God. And I'm here to tell somebody that I know your situation may be a little dirty. It may be a little dark in your life, but that's the time that 
that you got to pump up the volume on your praise. That's the time that you got to turn up the volume in your prayer life. I know you want to have a pity party. I know you want to cry, but the devil is a liar. You got to go down on your bending knees and say, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help. I know. I wish y'all would let me preach in here today. There's somebody in here. I know you're in a midnight situation. I know it's dark, but the Bible says that's a mighty good time to pray to God. Uh, somebody still ain't got this thing. Somebody still, somebody still ain't got this thing. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can paint this picture here. Here it is. The Bible says. The Bible says that they have been beaten, they have been flogged with rods. Their feet have been placed in wooden stocks. The Bible says they have they are fasted to the wall. And the Bible says that these stocks, my brothers and sisters, that their feet have been placed in, are been used as instruments of torture. Because when they move a certain way, they will put holes in their legs and stretch their torso until they were in extreme excruciating pain but sometimes I'm here that your best praise is birthed out of pain I wish I had somebody up in this house that sometime God allow you to hit some notes and give you some praise when you're in pain that you just don't have while you're on the mountaintop do I have a witness in this house and that's and that's why you can tell somebody that God has given a praise when they've been in the valley when they've been at their lowest point because you can't shut them up you can't tell them when to praise and when not to praise you can't tell them when to pray and when not to pray on their job there in the in the lunchroom throwing up their hands praising God in Walmart they're praising God when they have a flat that's somebody my brothers and sisters that their praise have been birthed out of pain I just need to know am I talking to any praises in the house that God has given Given you a song at midnight that God has given you a song when mama wasn't around, daddy wasn't around, husband wasn't around, kids wasn't around, but there was nobody but you and God, and that's why you can tell the story that weeping may endure for a night, but joy, I said, but joy, I said, but joy. And can I tell somebody that morning time is on the way? Can I tell somebody that your midnight is not going to last always? Let me, let me see if I can help. Got preachers in here today. Uh, I got to tell you that your prayers, your praise, and your presence have power matter of fact that's all the weapons that you need Josh that, 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 that if you don't have any other weapons to take on the battlefield take your prayer take your praise and take your presence matter of fact you want to just turn to your neighbor and say neighbor that's why I'm still here I'm standing on prayer praise at my presence you want to know why I still believe God? Because I'm still here. If I wasn't here, 
It means that the benediction was over my life. But whatever been trying to fight me and hold me down, the mere fact that I'm here means that God is not through with me yet. Can you high-five your neighbors and neighbor? The best is still yet to come. Let me see if I can work this text for a moment. Not only were the prayers and praise liberating for Paul and Silas. I feel somebody's about to get their breakthrough. But, but, but there's, I, I promise you, I read this verse many times. But there was something about this last clause that arrested my attention, Donald. It said, and the prisoners heard them. Woo! Not, 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 not only does your prayers and praise liberate you, but it has the power to liberate everybody that's attached and around you. And I'm here to tell somebody in here that you've been trying to pray to God for God to change the environment at your house, change the environment in your marriage, change the environment with your kid. All I'm trying to tell you, all you've got to do is saturate that environment with prayer and praise and watch things start to happen. The Bible says that when they was praying and singing praises, that the Bible says that an earthquake started to happen. The Bible says that shackles started to break loose foundations were erupted and doors started to open I told you my brothers and sisters that your prayer and praise is more powerful than you think you want to start to shake some stuff up in your life you want to see some doors open in your life you want to see some shackles be releasing your mouth God sent me by here to tell you open up your mouth your release is in your mouth your release is in what you utter you can't afford to sit here so I know I know it sounds crazy because you are in a prison cell I know it sounds crazy because you're broke I know it sounds crazy because you're going through a divorce but you have to learn how to give God a yet praise even though it ain't happened yet I'll still praise you. Even though they ain't saved, yet I'll praise you. Even though I'm still on the job, yet I'll praise you. Is there anybody here? I said, is there anybody here that you said to yourself, I wasn't going to open up my mouth. I wasn't going to praise God like this. I wasn't going to pray because it didn't take all of this. But the preacher just said, if I open up my mouth, something has to happen well listen what you got to lose you're already busted you're already disgusted you're already broke you're already mad as hell you might as well praise I wish y'all would let me preach I said I wish y'all would let me preach what you got to lose open up your mouth Zion open up your mouth let a holler come out. Let a scream come out. Let a thank you come out. Let a glory be to God come out.
Yes, sir. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, it's in your mouth. It's in your mouth. It's in your mouth. It's in your mouth. Whatever you need is in your mouth. Because whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, it shall be loose in heaven. Speak those things that be not as though they already were. I'm trying to tell somebody, it's in your mouth. You got to say, my child is saved. You got to say, my business will get better. My marriage will last. My ministry will expand. Is there anybody in here that can open up your mouth and give God crazy praise that you can say, I know it doesn't look like much, but I hear something shaking. I hear something moving. I hear cycles being broken. I hear doors being opened. Who is the king of glory? Open up and let him come in. Hey! Sister T, I used to get mad. I used to get mad in church when everybody weren't praising God. Everybody wasn't worshiping God. <laughs> and everybody weren't praying. But this verse teaches me that not everybody had to pray and praise for the whole house to get the benefit. Because the Bible says that everybody doors were open everybody's shaker was loose and I tell you somebody all it takes is one person on each pew for the whole pew to get this thing together will you just find somebody on your pew and say who is the one on my pew I just need one praiser on each pew that will holler for everybody that will say God open the door for everybody release the shackles for everybody oh 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 listen listen there ought to be somebody in here who's on this row who's the praiser on this row who's the praiser on this row who's the praiser on the i'm trying you're the praiser man you're the praiser man joe you're the praiser girl you're the praiser all it takes is one person on each floor and the bible says that doors will open cycles will break is there anybody in here that want to see your robe blessed this show ain't for you but it's for everybody on my robe let me cut across the field Paul says to this brother this brother out of everything going on prayer praise earthquake doors open shackles are being broken and the bible says this prison God is still sleep what will it take for somebody to wake up how, how could you be sleep 
when God is working, when God is moving. And this brother wakes up ready to take his life. But Paul says in verse 28, but Paul cried, brother, we are all here. In other words, what Paul was trying to say is we are present. And don't you underestimate the value of your presence. Because I'm here to say, my brothers and sisters, that your presence is more valuable than you think. That, that when somebody is on the verge of taking his or her life, that your presence is powerful enough to save that person. If only Junior say I had somebody this week, Darren, to say, Junior, I am here. You don't have to take your life. And that's why I'm preaching to some educators today and some other people that you're on a job where you're underpaid and overworked. But don't you understand that your presence is making the difference. That child is still believing that there is hope to come out the hood because you tell them that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why that company is still afloat. It's because you are still present on the job. And that's why this church is still going strong because there are some people who show up Sunday in and Sunday out that you have more month than money. Your kids are driving you crazy. Your health is fading. There's ripples in your relationship but you still come to church with the joy of Jesus and the peace of God and there ought to be somebody in here that can turn to your neighbor said neighbor if you only knew my story you will be one asking me how can I praise God with all of the stuff that I got going on I should be in a mental institution but I'm still in my right mind I should be throwing in the tower by now but I'm still here you just don't know what it took me to get here today I, it took a whole lot of prayers and praise matter of fact I'm standing on the prayers of big mama and daddy and somebody else but let me cut across the field the bible says that when this man decided not to take his life he comes to Peter I mean he comes to Paul in silence and say brothers what must I do to be saved my last and final point is this is that we must be prepared to proclaim the word of God that God wants to use us like he used Paul but like Paul my brothers and sisters we must be locked and loaded steady and ready prepared to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ notice that Paul didn't say wait the pastor Lomax come back next week he didn't say let me inbox my friend on Facebook he didn't have to send out a tweet saying what verse do I need to share that he was already prepared to lead this brother into salvation and let me tell somebody else that if you don't know anything else all you need to be able to do is to tell them the same thing that Paul and Silas told him believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved you and your house it ain't nothing cute it ain't nothing fancy but it's the only name that matters. The Bible says there is no other name, Sabrina, by which man can be saved except 
the name Jesus. I know we live in a time that people don't like to say that name anymore. But I'm here to tell you the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name Jesus shall be saved. That God doesn't care where you come from. God doesn't care what you have done. Because the name of Jesus, can I talk to somebody in here, is able to save the othermost as well as the guttermost. This name Jesus is the only name that matters. Paul says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So when somebody want to know what they need to be saved, all you've got to do is turn to them and say, call on the name of Jesus. And I am a living witness that the Lord will save you. That you don't have to wait to get right, but you can come to God just as you are. And the Bible says that this man believed in Jesus Christ. So much so that he tell Paul and Silas that you have to come back to my house to share this good news about Jesus with the whole house. Because if it's good enough for me, then it must be good enough for everybody in the house. So he comes back with no gimmicks. He comes back with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I leave here today, all I want you to do is go back with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you must go back telling them that all you have to do is acknowledge that you are a sinner. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Confessing your sins and you shall be saved. When you turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, the only name that matters is Jesus Christ. And that's why my brothers and sisters, that something happens when we call on the name of Jesus. And that's where the devil messed up Ray. Because he understood this trick about the domino effect. He understood that whenever you knock over the first one, that the last one is certainly to fall very quickly. So he understood, my brothers and sisters, that if he knocked Jesus down, that all of our hopes and dreams were going to be gone with him. And that's why you see when Jesus died on Friday, that, that it's silent. The disciples and the women go away weeping. And when they come, they are crying. And the angels say, why are you weeping like you have no hope? He is not here. He is risen just like he said that he would. And that's what I love about Jesus Christ. Unlike other dominoes that once they are down, they stay down. Jesus didn't stay down. The Bible says that early on Sunday morning that Jesus got up with all power in his hand. And that's why somebody in here ought to be praising God like you've lost your mind. Because what Jesus is saying is that you may be knocked down, but just like me, you're going to 
to get back up again. And when you get back up again, you're going to be wiser, stronger, and better. Do I have a witness in this house? Is there anybody in here who can say, this is not the first time I've been knocked down before. But when I got back up, I got back up better and stronger. And here's what I love about Paul and Silas. That even though they went into prison for preaching, that when they get out of the prison, they go back to doing the same thing that got them in prison in the first place. All I'm trying to tell somebody is this. That whatever you do, don't you stop praising God. Don't you stop praying. Don't you stop believing God. Get back on the field. Get back into ministry. Get back and share the good news because God is not through with you yet. Everybody standing. Everybody standing.